Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we do is you can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blind spot, and I'm on your way, go. We in Bitten Airwaves. Cool. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we're live on the airwaves right now, and we got a live show to get to. I'll be holding it down on the solo dolo tip for tonight's festivities but nonetheless it will be a jam-packed show we gotta talk about luke cage we gotta talk about martin shkreli we gotta talk about we got oj on this as well i mean there's so much to get to um but before we get to all of that you guys already know how i like to do at the beginning of the show man i got some stuff to uh get off my chest so on that note i think it's time to let that ish breathe let this bitch breathe So normally I kind of stick to one thing when it comes to this segment, but I'm going to split it up. So I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about the more important thing first because this is a landmark day in, uh, or landmark week rather, in black history for Canada in particular. But black history all over the world, I would say as well. Um, So for those of you who do not know, there is a lady who goes by the name of Viola Desmond. And she was honored this past week by getting her image and her likeness printed on the new $10 note, which will be available uh, later on near the tail end of the year, basically. So it's monumental because of the fact that it's the first person of color to ever be printed on a Canadian dollar bill. So that's that's monumental. That's historical. And for those of you guys who don't know who uh, Viola Desmond is, she is a she is a civil rights activist within Canada. Um, she basically fought for civil rights when uh, I believe it was in 1946, November of 1946. Uh, she was arrested and charged for sitting in a whites only section within a movie theater. Uh, basically, she paid her ticket and they told her that they weren't going to allow her to sit there but she did anyway and basically afterwards she was apprehended by the police and they charged her with it and obviously this is during a time where black people people of color and women didn't have any civil rights uh within the constitution of either canada or america which is why she was charged and arrested for her quote-unquote crime now what i find interesting about this is the fact that you know she has a very very uh, remarkable backstory. So she is a self-made business person, and basically she had her own uh, beauty beauty shop that she owned, and she also trained other uh, ladies of color how to uh, be a practitioner within that field and then essentially own their own shops as well. She wanted to practice originally in Halifax, but she was denied of that because of the color of her skin. Again, no civil rights. So she went over to Montreal, and then she also went down to the States as well, where she trained under Madam C.J. Walker, who is known as the first female millionaire in America. So that's a huge move on that in itself as well. Like Each one teach one at the end of the day. So she was honored, actually, uh, during that ceremony by one of her 
11 siblings. Yes, 11 siblings uh, who goes by the name. And I'm going to get it right now because I have so many things written down right now. Uh, but basically, she was, um, she was, I guess you could say, honored or sworn in by her sister, uh, Wanda Robson, who I believe is the youngest of the 11 siblings, basically. Um, so she was sworn in on behalf of her and uh, was actually pardoned of or actually requested a uh, requested that the government of Nova Scotia pardon her for that arrest, and that uh, request was granted. And that was earlier, actually. That was before the ceremony. So again, just to remind you know all our you know Canadian listeners you know tuning in right now, especially our Canadian listeners of color, this is a moment within Black history, and this is a moment uh, within civil rights as well. And it just shows that we're taking yet another step into you know, integration and equality for all as well. We're not there yet. We still got a ways to go, but we are fighting towards that spot. And I think it's important that people realize, because I know there are some people out there who want to pretend that racism doesn't exist in Canada, nor has it ever existed in Canada. But she was living proof of that, that racism did in fact exist in Canada and that it still does to this day. But at the same time, when we see moments like this take place, we are fighting the good fight and to ensure that, you know, love overcomes racism and any other form of bigotry. So shout outs to shout outs to her and shout outs to anyone who took note of the story and wanted to celebrate in their form of fashion as well. Uh, but yeah, if you want to know more about it, just do your research. Go on Google. You'll find more info about her. CBC uh, did a great uh, news piece on her this week and also uh, prior as well. I think there's a short film that CBC produced as well in regards to the whole civil rights uh, uh, issue that pertain to um, that pertain to her. So make sure you go check that out most definitely. Again, the name that you want to keep in your mind is Viola Desmond. All right, Viola Desmond. She is the one who will be printed on the new $10 bill or $10 note, I should say, uh, coming into the tail end of the, of 2018. So make sure you look out for that. I might even get, get that framed if, if I, if I ever get that. So I'm just saying, but nonetheless, um, so I want to move from one Canadian story to another Canadian story. Um, and this one has to do with, uh, the move. So if you guys don't know what the move is, the move is a radio station, one of the more mainstream radio stations in Toronto, which is formerly flow 93.5. Now it's 93.5, the move. Now, earlier this week, they pulled off some sort of, I don't want to call it, you could call it an initiative of sorts, but basically what they did was, um, they were, they allowed artists within the city to, uh, hand in submissions for music that they would be playing, uh, 24 hours throughout the day. So from 6 a.m., to I guess what 6 a.m. the next day or what have you basically they would be playing music from up-and-coming talents within Toronto I don't know if it was a Canadian thing in general but all I know is that it would be Toronto for sure so there were some artists or quite a lot of artists who were getting their songs played that day and you know I'm, I'm proud to say that some of those artists that got their music played are artists that I've you know befriended or I've had on the show etc cetera, etc cetera. I can name the names but we'd be here all night so shout outs to them now of course there's a, t- a contingency of artists who made submissions however did not get their music played and when they didn't get their music played, I don't think it was all the artists who were, you know, vocal about it, but there were quite a handful to say the least. And at the end of the day, like their comments were very negative, of course, because they're a bit sour about it. So they were saying stuff like, oh, see, this is why we can't get support in our city. 
you know, this is what Flo does. You know, Flo's been doing this for the longest time, et cetera, et cetera. But here's my thing. So two things. First things first. They are not Flo. They are the move. They may have that same dial that Flo once had, but nonetheless, they are the move. Now, the move for people who have not listened to the move since, you know, the change, they primarily play old school records from the 90s, whether it be hip hop, pop, etc. That is what their their niche is nowadays and anything else that may be mainstream. That is their thing. Secondly, people have been criticizing flow ever since at the very least 2011 because that's when they when they were bought out by bell media and then they decided to cancel a lot of their original programming that did uh spotlight you know artists that were coming from the city and what have you now here's my thing right here if and, and i always notice this as well when it comes to t- toronto artists not all of them but some of them if there if you notice that there is something wrong with the way that you know Canadian radio stations don't really promote their artists or whatever the case may be, make a claim about it before it's too late. And what I mean by that is this. When when Flo was eventually bought out, that is when people decided to be on the up and up and decided to be vocal and then started handing out petitions for people to sign. But the time for handing out petitions should have been when Bell made the, uh, made, made the acquisition of Flo. From that moment on, that's when people should have said, hey, we don't know what's going to happen with this whole, you know, merger deal. So let's make a petition right now to say what shows that we want to have on the air, if not all of them. So you can't just, you know, make a move when it's too late, because at at that end of the at the end of the day, it's going to be too late. You don't make a shot after the buzzer and be like or like right after the buzzer sounds and say, no, 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 I want that account. No, it has to leave your hands before the buzzer sounds. So. That's just my take on that. And at the end of the day, a lot of these artists who are complaining, had your song been submitted and you would have been able to play uh, your record on the move, would these comments have come out? Obviously not. You'd probably be saying something like, yeah, yeah, I got my record on on mainstream radio. Yo, big up, big up, you know, support, support, and all that stuff. But now that it's not on there, now you want to say, oh, this is why Toronto artists can't get ahead. Well, what about the other artists that got their song submitted and played throughout the day? So you can't really say that they're not making the support argument. And on top of that, I think a lot of these guys have to realize that the move is not the only outlet in Toronto or even Canada for that matter. At the end of the day, there are many stations within Canada, within Toronto, especially that play Canadian content on a regular basis, not named Drake, not named The Weeknd, not named anyone else that's made it from the city. For example, the station that you're listening to right now just so happens to play a bevy of Canadian content, whether you're hip-hop, whether you're a pop, rock, soul, jazz, whatever you want to call yourself, we play it all. If you're Canadian, you're getting played in. That's all I'm trying to say. So, a lot, of these, a lot of artists always want to rely on mainstream outlets, and I get it. There's going to be a plethora of people that may be listening to in comparison to one of, the, one of the more grassroots stations. I understand that. But what do you think would be better? Getting your record played once on the mainstream, record, on the mainstream radio station or getting your record played 50 times throughout a day on an up-and-up radio station? You be the judge of that. I'm just saying. But overall, I don't think... 
I think the artists who did not get their submissions played should be salty about it. I think the artists who did get their submissions played, you know, be happy about it. You know, feel proud of yourself, but don't rest on this. Like, this is just another step in, in the process. So that is my, you know, cool for thoughts, so to speak. Don't be salty about it, but don't be arrogant about it either. And I'm talking on both sides. But what do you guys think? Again, hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool and cool underscore radio and share your thoughts. Coming up after the commercial break, um, I want to talk about the Notorious B.I.G. Today marks the 21st anniversary of his untimely passing, and I want to propose a question to you all. Is the Notorious B.I.G. the GOAT, the greatest of all time? We're going to get into that, but before we do, we got some more Canadian content to play, and this one comes by way of my man, Goliath Paw, and it's called We Be On, and it's only on Cool Radio. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool, and welcome to Cool Radio. That was my man, Goliath Paw, featuring Eston Perrion with We Be On. I forgot how much that bass kicked in. That was crazy. Anyways, uh, before we get started... Um, I just got to give a shout-out to the Raptors right now. They are playing against the Houston Rockets, who are riding on the wave of the largest winning streak thus far of the year with 17 wins. Raptors are firmly in the lead, 58-43 at halftime. Uh, Raptors are on their own seven-game win streak right now. We're hoping to increase that to eight and get another leg up in the Eastern Conference standings where they currently sit at first place. So let's go, Raptors. We the North, baby. North over everything. Yeah. F the Lakers. Um, anyways, <laughs> let's get on to our main topic of the evening, all right? So, as I said before the commercial break, um, today is the anniversary of the death of Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G., Christopher Wallace. You already know. Um, and, you know, his legacy in hip-hop is cemented, basically. Like, he's one of the greatest of all time. He influenced a whole lot of rappers that came after him. He was the major focal point uh, in East Coast rap being mainstream in the mid-90s. But a lot of people tend to ask, is he the greatest of all time? Is he the GOAT? My answer to that is no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know, I know. Um, I know I'm going to catch a lot of flack for that, but I firmly do not believe um, that he is the greatest of all time, and I respectfully say that because he's done so much for hip-hop and just for music in general, but I'm going to list the reasons why I don't believe he is the greatest of all time. I think the biggest reason, and I think anyone can agree to this, whether they agree with my opinion or not, is because of the fact that he only has two albums under his belt. And yes, we know he only has two albums because of the fact that he died. But at the end of the day, we can't just give somebody, you know, some sort of like lenience just because they passed away. I feel like we have to judge everyone's work accordingly based on what they have on file. And we only have two biggie, two solo biggie projects on file with a collaborative uh, album as well on top of that with the whole Junior Mafia album that came out in 1995. But still, nonetheless, two is not enough. It really isn't. Don't get me wrong. He's had hit after hit after hit. He did so much for the East Coast community uh, while the West Coast was, was 
basically killing the charts as far as the mainstream aspect is concerned. I mean, you had acts like Nas that are, that are heavily in there. They he was critically acclaimed, but he wasn't moving units. Wu Tang Clan critically acclaimed. They were moving units slightly, but not West Coast uh, units. Mob Deep, same thing as well. They were critically acclaimed, but they only had a certain portion of the audience tuning in. It wasn't until Biggie collaborated with Puff Daddy, in which he gave him that commercial sound to cross over into mainstream radio, and the rest, as they say, is history. So, yes, he's definitely a huge proponent within the East Coast sound of rap during the mid 90s. But again, with only two albums under his belt, is it really fair to call him the GOAT? I mean, look at all the artists that have come out either since Biggie, after Biggie, before Biggie, etc. Now, I mentioned one person. You have Nas. Nas was automatically hailed as the chosen one, the savior of hip-hop, so to speak, when he dropped Illmatic. Didn't have the commercial appeal that, they, that most people were looking for, but it was still a monumental moment within hip-hop during the mid-'90s. Then you had Jay-Z come out uh, a couple years after with uh, with uh, Reasonable Doubt. Again, a critical success, but didn't move as many units because by that time, there's already an influx of East Coast rappers that are coming out, especially when you have someone like like Biggie coming from the same borough as Jay-Z and somebody who had somewhat of a similar style in terms of the wordplay. And even with Biggie kind of telling Jay to kind of slow down his rapping a little bit so people can kind of understand the double entendres that he's saying. And also Biggie kind of mentoring him in the process of memorizing your songs without having to write them down on paper. Biggie played a part in that as well. So people can almost see Jay earlier on in his career as a remix of Biggie. But nonetheless, as Jay grew within music, so did his quality of music. And what Jay has, you know, accomplished since then, you could almost even debate if it eclipses Biggie's work or not. So that's another person that you kind of have to uh, give some sort of credence to as far as um, discussing who the greatest of all time could potentially be. And then you have your people who came before Biggie, like Arak Kim, who basically revolutionized the rap game forever when he was probably the first rapper to rhyme within one stanza, whereas people were just rhyming the last word after the next uh, last word from stanza to stanza. He did that all that within one stanza and became very notable for that. Then you had someone like Big Daddy Kane, who you could argue is somewhat of a predecessor to Biggie Smalls. In fact, it was his DJ at the time, Mr. C, who put Biggie Smalls on one of, on uh, many of his tours, actually. So... This is somebody, this is people like uh, people like Big Daddy Kane, people like Rock Kim, even somebody like Cool G Rap. Like, these are people that you got to have into consideration when we're talking about um, greatest of all time, at least from a New York perspective. Mind you, I'm just naming off enough New York rappers slash East Coast rappers. But then when you get into the greatest of all time discussion, then, you know, you have to expand the pond a little bit. It's not just East Coast. You got to talk about West Coast as well. You got to talk about people like Tupac who... I believe may not be the greatest rapper of all time, but is arguably the most influential rapper of all time. I mean, that can't be denied. I mean, how many posthumous albums has this person, has the estate of Tupac been released since his death? I mean, how many classes and courses are taught all throughout universities throughout the United States about his music and his legacy? That's one person that you have to at least consider. Jay is another person. Nas is another person that you got to consider for that as well. Like, he may very well be the greatest lyricist that hip-hop has ever seen. Um, you got to talk about somebody like Snoop Dogg, whose flow and cadence made it very melodic and rhythmic um, to 
to basically rap along or sing along whenever you heard his song on the radio. He may be he may be one of the greatest rappers of all time to not even win a Grammy. You, to be completely honest with you, and also him and Dr. Dre usher in the G Funk sound, which became very w- well known, widely mainstream as well during the mid '90s, and has since become the predominant sound of West Coast rap. Whenever you hear a G Funk record, you hear West Coast. So there's just so many ways to break this down. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, as far as as far as the greatest of all time conversation is concerned, but. To be fair, if you were to make an argument for Biggie to be the greatest of all time, again, you could say that he influenced so many rappers that came after him as well. He helped he helped out Jay-Z. He kind of revolutionized the sound, revolutionized the sound for Fabulous, for example. Uh, he helped out, he basically, any basically almost any rapper after him that was on Bad Boy had some sort of lineage to him in some, in some form or fashion. So... We're talking about Mace. Mace had a very similar flow to Biggie. Just didn't have the wordplay. Then you had someone like Loon who came in the early 2000s. Then you had Shine who tonally, and and we're talking about intonation here, sounded very similar to Biggie as well as the subject matter uh, when it comes to, you know, street violence and, and gang and gangbang and warfare and what have you. So... You have those you have those points to kind of check off on your little cue card as well if you were to consider him the uh, the greatest rapper of all time. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like we live in a society and we've been living in a society, especially within hip hop for so many years where we honor the ones who are dead and gone rather than the ones who are still here. So basically when you die, your stock automatically goes belly up. And for me, I just can't get with that because depending on how much work you've put into the game as far as albums are concerned, not mixtapes, but albums, is your claim really valid? I mean, if he's the greatest of all time, then where does Big L rank? Is he in the top five discussion, in the top ten discussion? Because let's be clear, and no disrespect to any Big L fans out there, but Lifestyles of the Rich and Poor is only one album, and it's not even a classic album. Maybe a cult classic in terms of Big L fans and the fan base and what have you. Maybe if you're, if you're a fan of Digging in the Crates. But at the end of the day, as a totality, there's no way you could put him in that top 10 discussion unless if we're just talking about raw talents. But if we're encompassing everything, like talent, uh, flow, delivery, concepts, uh, subject matter, uh, sales, reach, concert sales, et cetera, et cetera. We can't put Big L in there because there's only one album to speak on, and he was only in his prime from, like, the mid-'90s up until his death. So we're talking about three years, from 95 to 98. That's when he was at his peak. So, again, it's it's we really have to be very cognizant of what we're really including in this discussion when it, when it, when it comes to the greatest of all time. I mean... Again, going on the whole deceased thing, should we include Big Pun in that conversation? Again, an artist who was phenomenally talented at the art of rap, but at the same time only had one album to speak of, Capital Punishment. Now, mind you, it was definitely a success within the Latino community because of the fact that he became the first Latino rapper to go platinum, and that's huge, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, Rap as an art form was not only created by black Jamaicans, but it was also created by the Latino community within the Bronx as well. And the Bronx is three quarters Latino, if I'm not mistaken. So that's, again, a huge accomplishment, but again, not enough to propel someone like that 
within the top five or even top ten discussion of greatest rapper of all time. If that's the case, then <clears throat> should we not raise our stakes a little bit higher or standards a little bit higher? And not to say that he doesn't have a good enough resume as far as being considered one of the greats, but to be entered into the top ten when there's so little to be discussed on, I don't know. Now, going back to Big, a lot of people will put him in that discussion because of the whole East Coast, West Coast beef, quote-unquote, that took place during the mid-'90s. Now, basically, what we all know, what we all should know, is that the whole East Coast versus West Coast thing is basically nothing more than something that was fabricated by the media to propel record sales. And the record label side, hey, maybe we should have this guy beef with that guy. That way, the sales will be booming in and we'll be making all the money. But then when people got killed or people were being assaulted, that's when Ish got real and certain people decided to pull back away from that because it ended in two casualties in Tupac and Biggie, arguably the two biggest forces on each side. So... I don't know, man. It's it's one of those things where you want to give respect to where respect is due, and you understand that. But at the same time, like you got to be objective and really ask yourself, does this person really deserve the title of the greatest of all time? Now, mind you, we can be as objective as you want to, but on the flip side, arts and all forms of arts is subjective. So some people are going to say that Biggie's the greatest of all time because – they had a personal connection, which is okay. Some people are going to say that Biggie is the greatest of all time because he revolutionized a particular style of rap. That is okay. But for me, if I'm just talking about myself, I can't give that title to somebody who has only had two albums under his belt ever since having a record deal from 1992 that basically kind of got cut off by the time he was deceased. That's not fair to somebody like a Jay-Z who's had over 10 albums, who's had at least three undeniable classics under his belt for someone who sold out millions of like millions of concerts all over the world and arenas all over the world. Someone who's earned a ton of Grammys and a ton of accolades, so to speak. Someone who has influenced change inside and outside of the recording booth. Someone who became a self-made millionaire maybe even approaching billionaire status, who knows, not trying to count his pockets, but at the end of the day, to consider Biggie the greatest of all time, what does that say about Jay-Z? Jay-Z ain't no slouch either. Like, I don't even like to have this conversation sometimes, but if I were to have this conversation, I were to be purely objective, I may have to say that Jay-Z is the greatest of all time because of what he's accomplished in his career. Mind you, and of course, and thank God, he wasn't taken away you know, by gun violence or anything of the sort. But nonetheless, because he's been on this earth, because he's been doing what he does most, we have to take into consideration that based on his list of accomplishments, his resume, what he's done, his style of rap, how he has influenced other rappers like a T.I., like uh, like a Lil Wayne, and other rappers who have topped the charts and earned accolades on their own accord. I mean, shit, he's an influence on Drake as well, let's be honest. I think we got to consider him the greatest of all time, if anything. If we're being purely objective and we're comparing resume to resume, despite whatever circumstances may have taken place. But that is my opinion. I'm curious to know what you guys think. I know the comment section is going to be hella crazy, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm waiting for it. I love discussion. I want to embrace the debate if there is going to be a debate. But me personally speaking, if I had to be purely objective, I would have to say that Jay-Z 
may very well be the greatest rapper of all time. I think Tupac may very well be the most influential rapper of all time. I think Nas is probably the greatest storyteller and lyricist of all time. And I think Biggie is... Man, I think Biggie, he's... I don't know what to call Biggie as far as, like, giving him his own type of placement like I did with the other three rappers. But I definitely feel like Biggie is... Could arguably be the most influential rapper as well. He may have to share that title with Tupac, potentially. But he's definitely up there in the discussion. Now, would I call him top five all time? Based on what he did in that short amount of time, I would. But the top of all time, I can't do that. My heart won't allow me to do it. But nonetheless, I'm curious to know what you guys think. Hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio. Comment on the video once I post it on YouTube. And let me know your thoughts because I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about this. Coming up after the commercial break, man, we got Trip Talk. So I'm going to shine light on three of the hottest topics that took place within pop culture this week. And with that said, we're going to play some more music. And this one comes by way of Kendrick Lamar featuring The Weeknd. And this one's called Pray For Me. It's only on Cool Radio. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Now, as promised, it is Trip Talks. So we got three topics for the week, and we're about to get into all three of them. So we're going to start off with something a little bit softer, and then I'm going to wrap things up a little bit, as I always do. So with that being said, let's get to it. So first topic we got to get to is my man, Luke Cage. So... Luke Cage, there will be a season two of Luke Cage, and that will be premiering June 22nd. A trailer was put out earlier this week, and basically, with Luke Cage kind of embracing more of the hip-hop side of things in the Marvel television universe, uh, background music from I Ain't No Joke from Eric B. and Rock Kim was playing, because my man ain't no joke. He's going he gonna to get you in that stronghold. But uh, one of the themes from last season uh, that he was playing up on was the fact that all the episodes were titled under uh, songs from Gangstar, basically. So this year, they're going to be following that same pattern, and they're going to be titling the songs after records from Pete Rock and CL Smooth. So I'm assuming it could be from Mecca and the Soul Brother, which is a classic under their belt. It could be other albums that they did together as well, but either way, I'm all the way here for it. More importantly, however, this year is a great year if you are a black nerd, all right? Because of the fact that there are so many titles that have either come out or that are coming out, whether in theater or on television or animation, that are celebrating black superheroes. So we have Black Lightning that's on the CW, which is a really good show that I'm enjoying. Of course, we had Black Panther, which is still killing the box office right now, which may make upwards of $1 billion by the end of this weekend, and it's only been out for three weeks, which is stupid. Uh, we have Luke Cage coming out in the summertime. We have Cloak and Dagger, which will be, which will be premiering um, sometime in the spring as well, which is another Marvel property. We already have Runaways that's already uh, on Airways right now, which is a vi very diverse cast. And then, of course, on the animation side of things, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which features the new Spider-Man, which is Miles Morales, who is half black and half Puerto Rican. And then there will be a new Avengers cartoon coming out, which will be titled Panther's Quest, which will be solely about Black Panther. So if you are a black comic book fan, stand the F up. I'm just saying, man. It's a good time 
to be alive, man. And I'm all the way here for it. So if you guys are just as, as excited as me, then please let me know. Also, not only just black superheroes, but I feel like superheroes in general are, are being more diverse these days, whether it's on print or on mainstream fields of media as well. I mean, I was watching uh, Jessica Jones last night. It premiered last night. But what I love about it is the fact that it premiered on the day of International Women's Day. Jessica Jones being a female superhero, a very popular one at that, was a pretty dope move by Marvel. So they were doing that. They premiered um, Black Panther during Black History Month. I kind of see what you're doing with that right now, Marvel. And you know what? I got to give you a salute for that, most definitely. But nonetheless, are you guys excited for all this diversity that's happening within the superhero world, within the mainstream society? Uh, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio and share your thoughts. Now, the next topic that I want to get into. Oh, boy. This one I've been waiting to get into for the last couple of days, man. I got to talk about this kid who goes by the name of Little Zan, all right? Now, Little Zan... To me, he sounds like one of these little hoodlums, little ragamuffin, ragamuffin hoodlums talking about, you know, Percocets and, like, and doing blow and all that stuff. And he's the latest iteration of that. Now, for those of you guys who don't know, Little Xan stands for Little Xanax, okay? But he alleges that he does not do that drug anymore. So now he wants to go by the name of Diego. And I'm just saying, if that's the case, why didn't you just have your name as Diego from the jump? Hey, that's just me. Common sense, right? Anyways, so he was on a show called Clout Nine, which uh, airs on Revolt TV. And basically, uh, the interviewer gives him a list of things to discuss. Uh, and uh, basically, he rates it from one to nine, one being the worst, nine being the highest. And while he was doing this interview, this kid was high as fuck. I'm sorry, man. It's like, I just hate it when I see artists do an interview and they're so unprofessional. They're just high or drunk or they're just slurring or mumbling their words. Like, bruh, take the grill out your mouth and enunciate, articulate. I'm just saying. Anyways, I digress. So he's giving a list of things to kind of discuss on and be like, oh, I rate this nine, I rate this eight, et cetera, et cetera. And so Tupac comes up and he says, oh, I'm giving it a two. And even the interviewer was like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, he's just hella boring to me. He's a two. So I'm not surprised he said that based on the generation that he's coming from. To say he's boring, I mean, I don't know if rough from in the means is boring. I don't know if fuck you and the click you claim is boring. I don't know if how if you hear me is boring. I'm just saying I get kind of hyped up when I hear a Tupac record. But again, that's just me. One person who wasn't happy about this ironically enough, was Waka Flocka Flame, <laughs> right? I, I can't believe his name is still Waka Flocka Flame. Anyways, so he basically says that this guy is disrespectful and that he should be banned from hip-hop. Now, I find that very ironic coming from Waka Flocka Flame, of all people, because this guy is a Brooklyn man who raps like a Southern rapper who has no cadence and no articulation skills whatsoever. But not only that, but wasn't this... The same guy who many years ago said that when he wanted to go to school, he wanted to study geometry. Wasn't this the same guy who maybe a few months ago was the same person who denied his blackness and said that he was Cherokee instead of black and that he wasn't African-American? Bruh, you have dreads. Your lips are huge. Your nose is wide. You're, you're hogging up all the white man's air with your wide nostrils. You are black, bro. And if you aren't black, then why are you out here screaming nigga, nigga, nigga on each record? So you want to be black when it's convenient, but you don't want to be black. But now you're out here calling out people for being disrespectful towards the art form of hip-hop. 
Come on, bro. You can't have it both ways. So it would have been easy for me to give both of these guys wings of the week, but I expect this type of behavior from Neanderthals like those two people. So I don't know. I just find it very ironic that Waka Flocka of all people is calling this guy disrespectful to the to the art of hip-hop, when this guy's being disrespe disrespectful to the art of being black, because, again, you're out here saying, oh, we ain't black, we ain't black, we we Cherokee. I'm like, no, bro, you're not you're not native, man. Like, I'm sorry. You may have a little bit in you, but at the end of the day, when you get pulled over by the police, they're going to see a Negro with dreadlocks. And then where is your Cherokee pass going to come into play after that? I'm just saying. But what do you guys think? Am I being a hater right now? Do you agree with me? Is the pot, in fact, calling the kettle black, or in this case, Cherokee? Let me know. Hit me up in the comment section. Um, Twitter, DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio. Share your thoughts. And finally, for the final topic of Trip Talk, we got to talk about this guy named Martin Shkreli, okay? I think that's how you pronounce his name. But nonetheless, um, so this guy today was sentenced to seven years in prison for uh, fraud. Now, because of that, there are certain things that he has to be forced to... Uh, forfeits basically and one of those things is the aforementioned album that he bought from the wu-tang clan for a reported two million dollars which is entitled once upon a time in shaolin that along with the single copy of the carter five from little wayne is what he is for is what he has to forfeit in order to supplement that seven million dollar tab that he has to pay off now i can't say i feel sorry for this guy because this guy's been running in his mouth for the longest time talking about, you know, I have this album, I have that album. I just, you know, put it on my bedside. I don't really listen to it. It's just sitting there as a coaster. I mean, he's a guy that runs his mouth. He's a guy who kind of screams out white privilege, to be honest, because of the fact that he owns a pharmaceutical firm that makes millions and millions of dollars and feels that he's entitled to anything. Apparently, this guy was crying during the court proceedings, and I can't say that I feel bad for him. Does that make me an evil person? I hope it doesn't. But at the end of the day, I hope this is a lesson that he will learn in humility because at the end of the day, you can't take certain things for light or for granted. I mean, you bought two pieces of art that people have been longing to hear, and you, as a non-fan of hip-hop, you just kind of come, come across as an aristocrat, or better yet, you kind of come across as a colonizer if you if you think about it, like one of those one of those you know aristocratic British imperials who buy you know statues from Ghana and Nigeria that have no connection to your lineage whatsoever. You just want to put it up on your wall or on your mantle because there's some sort of culture that you find that brings out the feng shui in your dining room table. But beyond that, there's no other meaning or relevance to it for you. So at the end of the day, I can't feel bad for whatever issue you're going through maybe a little bit just as a human being but at the end of the day cheer up young buck you'll get through it but nonetheless what do you guys think hit me up on twitter at dm underscore cooler cool underscore radio to share your thoughts and now it's time for the flashback friday track of the day uh because it is the anniversary of the death of biggie smalls i figured we get into some uh, biggie music right now so i'm not gonna get into the typical stuff we've heard juicy before we've heard hypnotized before I want to get into some of his B-side stuff, man. And this is one of my favorite records, and I love the video for it as well because I thought it was so creative. And, you know, it's a little something for the kids too, man. This one is called Sky's the Limit. And when we get back, we do have the Wankster of the Week. Don't you worry. I got that on lock. So once again, keep it on lock. This is Cool Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Cool. cool. 
Hey, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, GM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Now, as promised, it is time for the segment of the show that you all have all been waiting for. So on that note, <coughs> me, 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 me. All right, here we go. Um, Who has been crowned the – actually, no, no, no. Let me, let me play that back, actually. Who has been entered into the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week has to go to none other to one of the biggest wanksters of all time, O.J. Simpson. He is getting the Wankster of the Week because he is set to have an interview of himself air on Fox this Sunday, which is entitled The Lost Confession. Now, what is The Lost Confession about? The Lost Confession is basically an adaptation of the book that he released way back in the day entitled If I Did It. And so basically he sat down with whomever he sat down and talked about the details of the book and is basically talking about certain scenarios that he would have done had he been the one to have murdered his estranged wife, Nicole Simpson. Now, I've been very vocal about O.J. Simpson in the past. Um, I've been very vocal about him, especially after that uh, five-part uh, docuseries that uh, ESPN did way back. I didn't watch the FX special. But I heard that was pretty good, too, uh, or not. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. The man was in jail for at, at least, what, seven years because he tried to steal his own shit. And basically, they kept him in for that long because it was almost retribution for the wrong verdict that was called back in 1995. Because let's be honest, that motherfucker did it, okay? A black man who had been beating his wife profusely on multiple occasions, and you're telling me that he was acquitted? Now, mind you, he was acquitted because there was faulty evidence and there was mishandling of evidence. I mean, again, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit, right? We all know that line. But nonetheless, to go on TV and to have an interview about these details yet again and say, oh, well, this is how I would have done it. I would have done it differently. I would have done it a little bit like this. I mean, I heard a snippet of the interview, and it sounded like a dry confession. He almost said that he did it, basically, based on his wording and his verbiage and his rhetoric and what have you. And my thing is this. O.J. Simpson, I don't know if anyone has told you throughout your, what, 70 years of life on this planet, but you're a black man. And as a black man, you are not granted the same privilege as other people who aren't of color. So when something like an incarceration could potentially happen, you are liable to get more years than the common white man is to get. And my thing is this, based on all of that, with you having no privilege at all except for you know celebrity privilege and what have you, the fact that you got off of murder for the murder of a white woman nonetheless, your ass should have been on the way to Bora Bora and you should have never come back. But the fact that you're still in the tabloids, you're still in the news outlets talking about, oh, if this is me, I would have done it like this. I would have done it like that. No, OJ. No, no, no. 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 That like that part of your life is over. It's been 20 plus years since that trial. Get over yourself. Like live a quiet life. Move to like Cuba or or Istanbul or something, man. Just 
Don't let people know about your whereabouts. Stop craving for the spotlight, the limelight, whatever attention that you got as a footballer. That part of your life is over. Hang up the jersey literally and figuratively. Retire. You just got out of jail. Why are you doing this to yourself? I don't know. So celebrity status, fame, it can be a sickness for some people. I mean, thank God Instagram wasn't around back in 19... Whatever he did it in. Because knowing him, he would have been like, Hey guys, here's Nicole's body right here. No. No. Shut up. Shut up. Shut it. Shut it down. Shut it down now. You Shut it down. That's all I got to say. Just shut it down. Stop talking. Move away. Change your identity. Call yourself Max Powers from now on. Get yourself a Brazilian perm or whatever. Just change your identity altogether. Hell, pull off a Sammy Sosa and bleach your skin because God knows you want to be white. But nonetheless, that's all I got to say about that. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you do. I'm going to drop it on you one more time just like this. Oh, man, the audacity of some people, man. Like, here, oh. Jesus Christ, I mean, there's a song about you called The Story of OJ, man, come on. Oh, man, I don't know. I, I just can't. I can't. But nonetheless, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to a close for another episode of Cool Radio. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I want to say that next week we will have a guest in the in the building. She goes by the name of Tiny Star. She does her own uh, fitness. She has her own fitness studio and what have you. So we're going to be talking about how she's incorporated that with music and just along with her life journey in general and get into all the fun stuff as usual. Um, make sure you tune in on a regular basis. Uh, tell people to hit us up on social media at DM underscore cool personally or for the school or for the show specifically cool underscore radio on Twitter as well as on SoundCloud to catch any old episodes you may have missed in the past as well as cool radio CC on YouTube on Facebook and on Instagram once again it is your man DM cool and I thank you guys for tuning in and as you already know cool radio is a division of cool click media and entertainment reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies keep it gravy and wavy we are out of here peace cool.